Hey there, it's Debbie, and welcome to Playback Friday. Every Friday, I'll re-release one of my favorite conversations from the archives. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you have, you just may get something completely different listening to it this time around. See, here's the interesting thing is that it was put in my uh, IEP, you know, he needs to forever be in special education because he's an anxious person. Well, that's one way of viewing the situation. But another way of viewing the situation is this kid is anxious because we've told him he's learning to he's disabled as any normal human being. It's a natural reaction to any normal human being saying that you're not capable of doing anything in your life. Therefore, what we need to do, our task is to reduce his anxiety by showing him his highest strengths. Now, that's a whole different way of framing the whole IEP, the whole purpose of education of, of that child than the way that it normally is treated. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. Actually, perhaps I should say welcome back to the podcast. For the first time since launching this show in 2016, I took a little break during the month of December to get my family resettled in the U.S. where we just moved from the Netherlands and just to have a little breathing room. But I am excited to be back in the podcast chair from my new office in New Jersey. So I'm Debbie Reber, and I am kicking off this year with an interview with someone who I've had the honor of getting to know over the past year, Scott Barry Kaufman. I've been looking for an opportunity to get him on the show for a long time now. Scott actually joined me and Marcus Sutra of Eye to Eye at my New York City Differently Wired book event this past summer. And he shared his personal story of being labeled and underestimated as a result of his learning difference when he was in elementary school and middle school. Today, he is a psychologist, an author, and a podcaster who's interested in helping all kinds of minds live a creative, fulfilling, and meaningful life. Scott has a PhD in cognitive psychology from Yale University, and he's currently based at Barnard College, Columbia University, where he is exploring the depths of human potential. Scott is also a prolific writer, having written the books Ungifted, Wired to Create, Twice Exceptional, just to name a few, and he's also a regular writer for the Scientific American Magazine. Actually, I could fill up an entire episode just sharing Scott's accomplishments, so I'm going to stop now, but you get the point. Scott is incredibly passionate about what he sees as his primary work in the world these days, which is changing, or perhaps expanding, the way that intelligence is defined and measured. In our conversation, we talk about his ideas about intelligence, potential, and what it actually takes for our children to develop into self-actualized adults. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And just a few short announcements before I get to the episode. As I mentioned in my mini solo cast that I released in mid-December, my book Differently Wired is now finally available as an audiobook narrated by yours truly. To listen to Differently Wired, just go to amazon.com and you can download it using Audible. And last month, I did a TEDx talk in Amsterdam called Why the Future Will Be Differently Wired. So TED Talks are all about ideas worth spreading, and I would love your help spreading this one. 
I wrote this speech with a broader audience in mind as I want to challenge employers, colleagues, community members, and other people in our lives who may not be raising differently wired kids to consider the importance of neurodivergence in our society, to consider the importance of our kids in society. You can find it at tiltparenting.com on the homepage or on YouTube or on the TEDx Amsterdam website. So I would love your help spreading the word to these audiences. Thank you so much. Oh, and one more thing. I just want to give you a heads up that next week, I'm also releasing a very exciting episode with another guest I've been wanting to have on the show for a long time, Julie Lithcott-Hames, the author of the fantastic book, How to Raise an Adult. So that will be dropping next Tuesday, January 15th. Make sure to listen to that one. It's also a great episode. And now here is my conversation with Scott Barry Kaufman. Hey, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Debbie, thanks for having me on. I'm so glad I could finally be on the show. I know. I remember when I first reached out to you, I don't know if one of your TED Talks had just blown up or something, but you were like, I'm not accepting any interview requests. And I was like, oh, okay. So I just, I've been kind of gently pestering you for a little bit. So I appreciate that this is happening. <laughs> yeah. So you and I had a chance to talk this summer at my book stop in New York. We did an awesome panel with Marcus Sutra from Eye to Eye. And in that conversation, you shared your story. You know, I know that the work that you do is really personal for you and that, or that that's how you got into the work and your work encompasses so many different facets now. So I would never pigeonhole you, but I would love to know a little bit about your own journey, who you were as a young child and a student to where, to where you are today and how you went through that transition. Okay, so I was always a very creative, quirky kid, I guess you could say. I used to uh, have a treasure chest of uh, that, that so my, mom, my mom's friends made me of, like all sorts of different costumes and capes from different superheroes. And I would, without thinking that it was inappropriate, wear, wear them to school. <laughs> um, I just was ravenously curious and interested in everything. And I also, uh, on top of that, I mean, I had a auditory learning disability which uh, was uh, made it very difficult for me to process things in real time. So I really resorted to my imagination. I had a really rich fantasy life, but no one could see that, of course. And I really kind of checked out and it creates quite a cycle because you know, the more I checked out, the more they'd tell my parents, I think something's really wrong with your son. <laughs> and then the more that they would tell my parents, there's something really wrong with your son, the more wrong I would suddenly perceive to be by everyone. Um, it's fascinating how that works. And I just um, was just really creative in my own room, doing all sorts of things, acting out soap operas, writing stories, creative writing. I was really into creative writing, but uh, my, my parents did uh, let me have some creative outlets. Like I went to a performing arts summer camp that I really loved, um, but I was in special ed and uh, was taking remedial classes for my auditory processing disability as well as um, my high anxiety. And uh, I'd, I'd say like I was just... Uh, unquestioningly kept in that system uh, until ninth grade when a special ed teacher took me aside and she was actually a sub uh, or she was the covering for the regular teacher that day. I'd never seen her before. And she took me aside after class and said, you know, I know this is like the first time that I've, I've been here, but like, you know, it just is very clear to me that you're yearning for something more, you know, like, why are you still here in, in this classroom? And 
I was just so taken back because no one ever asked me that question before and never dawned on me to ask myself that question. And maybe because of my personality, but as soon as I asked myself the question, why am I here? It really quickly turned into like, yeah, why am I here? Like, I'm getting out. You know, I always have this like, I always, I always have this really rebellious uh, side of me that uh, I've just always had it. Like, this is an undeniable part of my DNA or something, you know? And I remember in that moment, like someone empowering me to be rebellious. Like, that's all I need. Like, that's all it takes for me. If someone like just does a little bit of a nudge to be rebellious, I'm in, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, but it took nine grades for that, even that little nudge. I mean, all it was, was I mean, you think about it all, how simple and, and, and easy was that for a teacher to just take a student aside and, but no one had dawned on doing that in my nine grades. You know, you get, you just get caught up in the system. These kids, poor kids just get these labels and then just unquestioningly um, are given the same uh, low challenging material without, without ever questioning whether or not we can grow or change as humans. You know, it's like, you're not allowed to grow with that label. You know, it's like, what do you mean am I allowed to grow with that label? Like, that's ridiculous. So anyway, so I, I, I long story short, cause like, I don't want to like just go on and on and on with the story, but I did take myself out of special ed in ninth grade and signed up for uh, mainstream classes to see what I was capable of achieving. And I literally did not realize that before that's this moment that I actually enjoyed learning. Like, I was like, what? You know, like, I could, I didn't just have to have this private fantasy creative world that, like, no one knew about that was secret, but I'm allowed to actually show intelligence, you know? Like, I don't know, it was just such a eye-opening moment for me. Um, I was like, wow, I'm voraciously curious about everything. I signed up for Latin. Uh, I signed up for uh, advanced English classes, um, history. I found history fast. You know, I had to catch up on nine. I wasn't college-bound in ninth grade. Um, and I was like, wow, I, I could actually be college bound. Like that was, that was really news to me as well. So, so yeah, long story short, I mean, I really found that when I, once I really looked to see what I was capable of and people supported me in my decision to do that, it, it things just took off. Well, yeah, I, I'm just curious about, you know, you mentioned that you were feeling like you were wrong, you know, that you had been pigeonholed, you'd been labeled in this space. And that's something I hear a lot from. And I talk a lot about how our kids kind of grow up feeling that they're broken, they're wrong, they need to be fixed, you know, or that some part of who they inherently are isn't okay. And it sounds like you were in that space too. I'm just wondering, just, I'm wondering if in those years before the teacher pulled you aside and said, hey, I think, you know, there's a lot, there's other things. You don't really belong here anymore. Had you yourself felt like, wait a minute, I think everybody else is getting this wrong, you know? No, I did not actually question it. Um, I, I, I knew in my bones that something was wrong. I knew that there was a mismatch between the people's expectations of me. And I could feel it in my intuition, but I did not have thoughts of great uh, I, I mean i did like i mean here's something that you might find interesting because i looked this um we found this looking at my old papers at age 10 you know they ask like what do you want to be when you grow up and i have it saved it said academic phd psychologist seriously yeah 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 so wow. yeah so i feel like and my mom said that one of the school psychologists said to her that um they thought i had what's called delusions of grandeur because I told this, and I remember them. I remember what I said to that psychologist. I actually remember that moment because they had me see a, psych, a psychologist, 
they, they said, you know, well, you know, what are you, what do you want to do someday? I remember looking at his door and saying, I want to be a psychologist. I want to be like you someday. And I think from that, they told my parents that. So, you know, I guess to answer your question, I, it's not like I necessarily, it's like, I, I did have ambitions, uh, but I did, I did feel too timid, I guess, too shy to like question the way things were. And I kind of accepted it until, but there was obviously a part of me that really was just waiting for someone to say to me, like, Hey, you're not, you're not so, uh, you're not so bad to this day, by the way, to this day, I, I am, am super sensitive to expectations. I wonder, I think in my studies of twice exceptional children, well, just kids with learning disabilities or any, as you say, as you know, as the great Debbie Reber says, you know, uh, differently wired, anyone who's differently wired, I think there's a common thing there where they grow up just being hyper, hyper sensitive to how the person is perceiving them. Hmm. And I can't completely kick that even to this day. I can spiral downward really fast, but I can also spiral upward really fast. You know, like I'm really in tune with like the resonance or frequency of the person I'm talking to. And yeah, I don't know if you resonate with all of this or the kids you've worked with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's interesting and, and, and incredible to hear with what you've accomplished that, that still comes, comes up for you. Um, and I also think it makes sense. You know, if you, if you kind of grow up always feeling as if you're not being understood, or people aren't really seeing you for who you are, then it makes sense that there would be a just an awareness that at any given time, people may still not be seeing you for who you are. Yeah, I, I think that's that's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. But even people who are just normal, what's the opposite of differently wired? What, 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 what's the rest of the pop? Of the well, the, the common word is NTs for neurotypicals. You know, no one's a... No, what? no. <laughs> um, every brain has their own unique kind of wiring. Absolutely. Um, More typically developing typically kids, developing. I guess. Yeah. 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 I think this, for all of us, I think that it's really important for teachers to look deeper than some of the superficial sort of academic uh, content or indicators of potential. This has been a big mission of mine is to... Uh, I, while I studied traditional markers of intelligence, that's how I started off in my career, because I knew that if I ever was going to make a change to the system, I would have to start with the as traditional as possible. I came to realize just how much these tests lack fundamental humanity of an individual. And, you know, some scientists might cringe at what I just said, you know, like, oh, that's really like non-scientific, airy-fairy sort of thing to say. But I have scientifically shown throughout my career that that is the case. You know, like I've studied extra dimensions of what it means to be a human and have tried to systematically show how much we're missing out on those things, especially imagination. You know, that was a big research interest of mine that is not captured by an IQ test. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. 
Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. I want to talk about your book, Ungifted, and and your work that you've done in that space. I know, again, that you've done many more things uh, since that time, but the idea of how intelligence is measured is a, something that comes up a lot in my community. You know, a lot of parents have kids who are twice exceptional or 2E, so their kids were either late in being identified as gifted or, you know, they aren't able to tap into the services for them. Then there's the gifted word in general that is so um, controversial, yeah, loaded. And then there are so many, you know, differently wired kids who do come with these incredible gifts and, and sensitivities and talents to share with the world, and they're completely overlooked. So can you talk a little bit about what, you, you know, maybe a little more in-depthly about what you see that's wrong with the way students are currently being identified and categorized? Oh, where do we start? How, do, how much time do we have here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh- <laughs> Well, first of all, the whole problem is that we, well, we're so desperate to categorize. Yeah. That's one of the problems. Yeah, that's one of the major problems. Um, there's this, we feel like there's this need to to know right away, what is what are they going to do? What's their potential? What Where are they at? Are they autistic? Are they, you know, are they, are they typically wired? <laughs> are they, 
ADHD, there's such a um, focus in, in, a, in most training programs in educational psychology to answer that question and not enough attention in educational psychology training programs on asking the question, what are the highest strengths of these kids that we're serving? You know, when you come to the table, when the kid, you know, is referred and comes to the table, I mean, the first, the first thing you should do is, uh, well, smile at the child, you know, assess their character strengths, you know, like have them take the character strength survey, um, see where their top three strengths are, and then do, sure, do your whole work up, your battery. Don't focus on the global IQ score. Um, and there are a lot, um, a lot, it's really moving that trend in educational psychology to really look at the individual scatter of subtest scores. But don't just look at the subtest scores on an IQ test, like gain information about that child's personal goals, their um, classes that they're more or less engaged in, their, um, uh, their social uh, situation, whether or not they're bullied. Um, whether or not they have anxiety. See, here's the interesting thing is that it was put in my uh, IEP, you know, he needs to forever be in special education because he's an anxious person. Well, that's one way of viewing the situation. But another way of viewing the situation is this kid is anxious because we've told him he's learning to he's disabled as any normal human being. It's a natural reaction to any normal human being saying that you're not capable of doing anything in your life. Therefore, what we need to do, our task is to reduce his anxiety by showing him his highest strengths. Now, that's a whole different way of framing the whole IEP, the whole purpose of education of of that child than the way that it normally is treated. Absolutely. So first of all, you know, just to go back to that idea of categorization, this is something I've been thinking a lot about, this need to label and identify. And based on your expertise, is that a natural instinct that we have as humans to categorize? I mean, yes, is that... It absolutely is. I mean, that's why there's prejudice. You know, it is a, uh, it serves us well in a lot of instances. Like, imagine going through the world where you couldn't categorize anything into any category. You would be sitting on people instead of chairs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. all confused. Um, so, clearly, that's not... Uh, it, it, it did serve us well in the course of human evolution. But it, it leads us astray, and it, especially in a school system where the categorization purpose is to is to really target certain level of challenge, level of content based on a, a paucity of information about the child. That's very problematic because you're setting up uh, self fulfilling prophecies without you even realizing it. You know, and then you know it's like I stay in um, remedial classes till eighth grade, and then I say, hey, you know, I'm still in remedial classes. They're like, ha we told you. It's like, but you're the one who put me in remedial classes for eight grades. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking of the Dutch education system, you know, that I just moved back to the U.S. from the Netherlands. And while Asher was not in that system, I have many friends whose kids are in that system. My Dutch teacher explained it to me <laughs> in great detail um, how it works. And it's very, it's probably typical of a lot of European countries, but it is a system in which pretty early on, maybe by fifth grade, sixth grade, you are assessed and it's determined whether or not you're going to college or not. At you know, if you're going to be more of a 
what we would call Votech here in the US. And, and that's it. You know, once you're in one of these three systems, the really high performing kind of medium and then the low performing, and that's your future all laid out for you. And it's very hard to change that once you've gone down that path. So that's the context for this question about education. If you were to create a school, the Scott Barry Kaufman School. The SBK School. Oh, yeah, SBK. I like that. The SBK School. What would that look like? You know, because I love this idea of strength space. I mean, that's what I believe so deeply as well. What would a school look like? It would look like a school that already exists called Bridges Academy. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, I visited them and... Um, they uh, just started a training program for Toys Exceptional. Yeah. One of their early faculty members, one of their first faculty members, and they really get those kids. You know, I, I feel like when people ask me to design a school, you know, I feel like it takes a lot of hubris to say you know the right way to design a school. You know? I, I never really liked that question, and I don't really like people who answer that question too readily. I'm always suspicious. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, there's people with education writers, you know, who think they know the answer. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, I think that a lot of um, what I would do is have it be student-driven, you know, like sort of let them tell us to a certain degree what they need and be like, um, how did my favorite psychologist, Abraham Maslow, put it? He, he said, we should be the role of horticulturists, like really trying to get and shape what's already there. And I always like that metaphor of the horticulturist, you know, that as, as sort of like this Taoistic helper, you know, from Buddha, Buddhist philosophy. Um, I like the idea of teachers as Taoistic helpers, you know, guiding the learning process, but not forcing cramming memorization down, you know, down their throat, um, not, not, not allowing them to change and grow, you know. So, so part of the school system would involve constant, constant check-ins, check-ins with the students. Uh, you know, what, are you ready for more challenges? You know, like every year, right. And for next grade, do you want to take it up to the next level? You know, do you want to take it down a level? What are your personal goals? Well, if your goal is to go to Harvard, maybe you should take that up a level, you know, uh, but, but working with their personal goals, you know, it would be really grounded. The SBK school would be very much grounded in my theory of personal intelligence, which I have been trying to apply to the twice exceptional population. Um, I, I think like grounding that, that in, in, in personal intelligence, which I define as the dynamic interplay of ability and engagement in the pursuit of personal goals is um, a good form of intelligence that we can get out of kids. Mm-hmm. So can we talk a little bit about potential then to tie into that? Um, you've said that, the things that we typically think of as the best predictors of potential aren't actually that great um, and that we have to recognize that potential is a moving target. So can you tell us what you mean by that? Well, um, potential by potential being a moving target, you know, like what does potential mean? It means at any given moment in time, it's the probabilistic uh, probability that your likelihood of actualizing X. But if we don't, recognize that probability constantly is is shifting you know it's like uh, my cholesterol here's a personal example i'm trying to lower my cholesterol levels my potential cholesterol levels can be at one moment in time very predictive of heart disease and then let's say i do this huge diet regimen and i i lose a lot of weight and i do all this stuff and then i lower the numbers 
to the normal range, suddenly my potential is much greater for, 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 for I guess, living longer. So that's, that's what I mean by moving target. You know, we really need to recognize that in a lot of ways we create, we create and shape potential. Mm-hmm. I don't realize that. Well, and also, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of mindset too, and that we've talked a lot on this podcast about growth mindset versus fixed mindset and, you know, and how important it is to help our kids develop growth mindsets. But I think so many of us adults in these kids' lives actually have fixed mindsets about their potential, like pretty early on. Sure. And the teachers do too. Mm. Yeah. It's absolutely true. And I know that there's plenty of research saying that, you know, teachers, if kids come in and they have an idea in their mind of whether they're gifted or they're, they're ungifted, to use your term, then that's how they will actually, those kids will live up to those labels and the teachers will, what they expect is what they're going to get, right? Yeah. And I, mean, I think the field of gifted education is deep, deeply, deeply fixed mindset approach to identification and cultivation of, of those kids. Do you see it changing? I mean, I see some good people. <laughs> I see yeah. some, so I meet some amazing gifted education teachers from time to time. And I'm like, wow, you're awesome. I don't know about system wide change. We'll be right back after this quick break. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. It's challenging, I think, you know, for a lot of parents again, in my community, we're always having to advocate and figure out new ways to understand who our kids are so we can best support them and tap into their strengths because a lot of traditional systems or uh, testing doesn't give us that information. So yeah, and I agree with you, Bridges is doing it right. We've, uh, I'm actually going to be speaking there this spring, which I'm super excited to check out that school in person myself. 
Amazing. But I just wonder if, if, if maybe the question is, do you see a willingness to, among schools in general, just again, in your, with your knowledge of this field, to start looking at multiple intelligences or different ways of looking at kids that expand the definition of intelligence and giftedness? Well, that's what, I, that's what I've been working on, sort of been trying to do in my whole career. But I don't uh, go look at it through a multiple intelligences lens, lens really. I look at it as a multiple manifestations of intelligence lens. So it's a subtle difference. You know, I don't deny that there's something called general intelligence that people differ on. You know, some people in education are like horrified to, to admit that, that IQ matters at all. And I'm not that person. I mean, people want to slot me into that because I have these more nuanced views and I wrote a book called Ungifted. And then so they automatically think that I'm therefore a multiple intelligence guy. But I, I'm a poor, like almost in a sense, maybe that uh, I'm into like unlimited intelligence <laughs> because I, I think like, who are we to like say that like, oh, these seven are, are the intelligences, you know? And like, so then what if you're not good at any of those seven? Like you're up a uh, creek, whatever they, I'm bad at my metaphors, but without um, a paddle. Yeah. 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 You're, you're up some creek without a paddle and that's not good. But, um, students, you know, can tell us whether person, the, what the key, the key A level analysis is not what is your ability. It's the whole ability question is so between person. It's so competitive. It's so like hierarchical. The whole idea of multiple intelligence, if you really think about it, it's like, what are you really excellent at? You know, it's like, okay, everybody calm down about excellence. Like, just calm down. I'm all about self actualization, is what I'm about. You know, like, what do you, what does this kid want to actualize? I don't care if they're, if they're, if that's one of their intelligences. Maybe it's not their intelligence, but they still want to develop and actualize it. Who cares about their multiple intelligence level then? Like, give them the resources. Who are we to, like, prevent them from actualizing a potentiality or a, a motivation that's within them? So I, I get very passionate about this stuff because I think, you know, we need to stay within the realm of science. I think science definitely shows that there's something called general intelligence, that um, a lot of kids who get into gifted education programs, they have a very high G score, which means that they're um, very quick learners across uh, and make connections very quickly. Um, that is a thing, you know, like we don't need to like sweep that under the rug. You know, some multiple intelligence people say, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. All that matters are your dance ability or your, like, your art ability. Well, no, it, it does matter. It does matter a lot. It's one slice of human cognition that, that we, you know, we shouldn't have those kids fall under the, between the cracks either. You know, like when I've studied the breadth of human potential, I don't want to neglect those who are um, off the charts on IQ tests um, because that is predictive of, of something that they need help with, actually. So I'm not anti that, but um, I'm infinite, uh, infinite, not intelligences, but uh, infinite uh, goals that a child can have that we should listen to. I love that. So I'm just wondering if you have any, you know, for parents who are listening to this, I think hopefully there's some paradigm shifting happening. You know, one of my biggest goals in this podcast and, and through Tilt Parenting is to help parents lean into who their kids are. And a lot of that means shedding the expectations we have of who they'd be, what their journey will look like, what's possible for them, and instead meet them where they are and help them become the best version of themselves they can be. So yes, I have some quote, my favorite quotes of yours I have written down, allow allow our children to fully realize their best selves and then let their gifts flourish. hmm. I really like that one. Yeah. 
Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, do you have thoughts on, you know, just based on what you experienced when you were younger, were yeah. there things that for parents who have kids who, who are maybe in the position you were, you were in back then, you know, what can parents do from your perspective to help them tap into their, their strengths? Yeah, I know that your book is, is very focused on empowering parents, which is um, a population that is really neglected in the education. It's, it's often that the parent is the last person to know of an education uh, decision, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, um, you know, the, the teacher knows first, then the principal, and then the whole IEP team. But I don't know, like, so the thing with the parent is like, they know their child more than anyone. And it's like really important to um, advocate for your child's needs and and teach your child and empower your child to advocate for themselves when they're in the school system and they're away from their parents. They're also, I think it's important to, to make sure that like the kid is not too dependent on the parent. This is something that I, um, I guess a pet peeve of mine is, you know, some of the most well-meaning parents of differently wired children create a codependency with their child where their child, you know, calls them from school all the time. And it's like, does it, the child doesn't realize that they have the coping capacities within themselves. Like the parent immediately jumps in and says, I'll take care of this. You know, I think there's a needs to be a healthy balance there where, you know, the parent like encourages the child to, to really self advocate, you know, self advocate for themselves. And when they're not around, because they're, they're going to have to do that the rest of their lives. Absolutely. You know, I, I uh, just spoke with Julie Lithcott-Hames yesterday who wrote How to Raise an Adult and we had this exact conversation. She said it in a way I'd never heard it before that parents of atypical kids can sometimes actually become our child's executive functioning. We can become their, you know, we can take over for them in that realm and in the advocacy realm. And it's so important for these kids to, to learn those skills. I'm wondering about your advocacy. So I know that when you, that, you know, when you had that aha moment in ninth grade and you said, you know what, I'm, I want to take Latin. I want to do these things. To what do you attribute your ability to, to advocate for yourself in the way that you did? Well, we can't ignore the role of genes in, uh, in some of this. So it'd be very easy for me to say my mom, you know, taught me by example what it means to have grits and to be a tough lady but don't forget i got a lot of her genes as well so <laughs> you know like I, I feel like you know she ha- she's very like i'm not accepting that you know like nobody does that to my scotty you know rolls up her sleeves you know going to like super superwoman um and i think that there's a part of there that's within me as well a little bit um so the more that like people were really having low expectations of me, the more it did kind of fire me up to want to disprove them, which I don't think is healthy, but I think that just is what that was at that time in my life. And that is probably what got me through. You know, a lot of things that aren't healthy in the long run, a lot of our defense mechanisms that aren't healthy for growth in the long run can still be immensely helpful in the short term for getting us out of really horrible, traumatic situations. You know, like people who are abused in, in various ways, their brain literally shuts down um, so they can cope with the reality. Now, that's not healthy in the long term to have your brain shut down, but in the short term, it's healthy. So I think I had some of these defense mechanisms that almost ironically, these defense mechanisms are what propelled me to work harder, to uh, practice more in the school orchestra. Uh, my grandfather, I asked my grandfather to teach me how to play cello, and and I was so determined 
to show my school that I can do something. I can play cello. And I practiced nine hours a day. Um, I didn't go to the lunchroom. I did not a great way of making friends, but, um, you know, I was so determined. So that's, that's my answer. Mm. To that. That's awesome. So I want to ask you one last question, and then I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about what you're up to now, which I know, again, is a moving target. You're one of the most prolific writers that I know. I'm constantly amazed by your productivity. Um, But I think a lot of parents like me, we get caught up in this comparison trap of thinking, you know, of chasing this um, successful, using air quotes here, successful future for our kids Um, What would you say are the most important qualities that we should be focusing on helping our kids develop in order for them to be self-actualized and fulfilled adults? Oh, wow. I just just created a scale of self-actualization, a new test. Do tell. I believe those 10 facets answer your question. Go to selfactualizationtest.com. But the uh, characteristics include things like developing your purpose and focusing on that, um, not getting stuck in the muck with all the other pressures and things. So staying in your lane. Don't worry if you've got the multiple intelligences or not, just do it. (laughs) Um, Authenticity, which is uh, related to that, of course. Having integrity is a really important thing to develop in your life. Grit is an important one, but I like to think of it as equanimity. You know, which is a more Buddhist and it's a more gentle, loving form of grit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, having, you know, and cultivating your creative spirit, your, you know, spontaneous, childlike um, uh, sense of wonder and awe um, is something that I think is very underrated in our school system. It's like, I think I was in awe once in seventh grade and I was sent to detention. Um, <laughs> um, that, you know, that wasn't good. Um, you know, and acceptance. Self-acceptance, oh boy, that one is so huge. Um, but so is other acceptance, you know, accepting others as well. Um, it's interesting that a lot of differently wired kids, I think, end up having more of the traits that you've just, you know, talked about yeah. because they often work on, you know, maybe they don't naturally have the the social skills. And so they're doing the work on it and they end up being much more emotionally uh, intelligent and evolved than their same age peers who, who aren't focusing on these traits at all. No, they really aren't. Um, the more that from a neurological perspective, the more that you focus on um, the attentional control of the child, like the executive attention brain network, it's called the less you're able to develop the human imagination. They are toggling with each other, these two brain networks. So, and it really is a use it or lose it sort of thing. You know, we literally build brain tissue the more that we exercise or engage. It doesn't stop with, you know, these amazing pecs that I have here. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't stop there, you know, like it happens in the brain as well. You know, like you got to like work that out. And if we don't give kids the opportunity, we're we're creating a, a school of zombies uh, with no imagination. Quote me on that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good quote. Um, yeah. So interesting. Okay. So now I'm like, as soon as we get off, I want to go check out this, uh, the, the test and um, listeners, it's selfactualizedtest.com. Is that correct? Actualization Selfactualizationtest.com. I'll have links of course in the show notes pages to, to that and to Scott's website and 
podcasts and books and scientific American articles. Um, so there's so much we could talk about, but if to kind of wrap this up, would you tell us a little bit about maybe where your work is taking you now? I'm just curious where your focus is. Well, I've really gone lately um, into humanistic psychology, which is um, was popular in the 50s and 60s. Um, the hippies really liked humanistic psychology, but I think in the world that we live in today, it, it's it's more important than ever these principles. Um, and I've been trying to little by little bring and introduce some of these ideas back. Um, they haven't really been in the public consciousness since the 50s or 60s, um, but there was a small group of psychologists who really uh, were interested in understanding the whole person, understanding uh, what it means to focus on self-actualization and growth versus happiness or even achievement. You know, um, we live in such a achievement and happiness focused society. And I don't think either of those two things should be our literal focus. Like you, you see these type A people who they're like to do list, to do list, to do goal, goal. It's like goal, be happy. It's like, calm down. Okay. Like, <laughs> You're never going to be happy if that's on your if happiness is on your to do list. <laughs> you don't get it though. They don't get it. So um, and then what? Let's say you let's say you can cross that off your list. Do you think you're going to be happy for the rest of your life? It's an emotion. Five it's not later, a condition. Five later, you're going to have to put it back on your list. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to my own personal uh, journey and purpose right now is to teach these ideas. So I'm teaching a course I created um, at Columbia University next semester called The Science of Living Well was the name of the course. And it's grounded in humanistic psychology and the latest science of well-being. And um, and I'm teaching a course, the 92Y, starting in uh, March, April for the general public. So really excited about that. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm just like kind of focusing on um, bringing some human uh, elements back to education and society. Fantastic. Well, Scott, I'm going to let you get get some rest, get on with your day. And uh, <laughs> just, you know, she's saying that because I'm a little bit under the weather today. A little I, bit under the weather. I don't always need rest, but <laughs> I want to be very clear. That's my gritty. That's my gritty mom side coming down here. <laughs> um, you know, um, uh, thank you. Thank you. This was really energizing for me. The thing is, like, I was really exhausted at, before this interview, not sure whether or not I, I could do it. And the second you get me talking about this topic, can you tell? Can you tell? Absolutely. You light up. I just yeah. like, oh, man. It's like I forget that I'm sick. You know, like mm-hmm. I'll be on my deathbed someday or something, you know, and like <laughs> we'll bring up the topic of twice acceptable children. I'll just like like spring up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I just personally am so grateful for the work that you're doing in the world for how you show up and just who you are. Like, I just think you're so inspiring for so many of us. So it's an honor to have you on the show. So thank you. Thanks so much for doing this. The feeling is mutual as well. Thank you. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Scott Barry Kaufman's website, his books, his podcast, which is called The Psychology Podcast, his characteristics of self-actualization scale, and all the other resources we discussed. You'll find them at tiltparenting.com slash session 139. If you get value out of this podcast, please consider signing up for my Patreon campaign to make a small monthly contribution to help me cover the cost of production. Even $2 a month helps. To sign up, 
go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can find a link on the Tilt Parenting website on any of the show notes pages. And don't forget to leave a rating or a review or both for Tilt Parenting on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Thank you so much for considering. And thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.